yeah, I, I think that we don't like the idea of movies from the past being bad, but we're very happy with movies that come out n- now being bad. Right, but it's like any any of... bad movie from the past is like somehow proving a point that movies today are worse. Like something about it is more genuine or True. connects with yeah. you better. But some of the movies from the past are pretty bad. <laughs> you know, like some of them are just bad. It's okay. <laughs> right it's been folks it's been a while since you've heard these two voices we've been hiding from these microphones we've been missing in action from the 30 years later podcast but this is 30 years later i'm your host ricky camilleri with uh your co-host it's me chris Chris chafin Can I say I had my, like an old gunslinger, I had my microphone packed up, put away in the closet. And then you and then you and me started talking again. And I thought, this goddamn son of a bitch. And I had to break well, it well, out of the closet. Let's not make it sound like, well, I thought the same thing. And then I looked behind my monitor and the microphone was sitting there. I was like, <laughs> I was like this afternoon, I was like working and I was like, oh, fuck, I got to find this microphone for tonight. Where is that thing? And I literally just like leaned over and was, there it is. It's right there. Um, so did you, wipe, we, did I you just, wipe the dust off of it before or did, or is, are you like, no, I'm probably inhaling dust. it right now. Yeah. Lip, <laughs> lips, so, lips to dust. That is fucking gross, um, dude. So we should say, um, you know, because we have such a devoted following of five to seven people. We do occasionally get complete strangers tweeting at us about the show. I Dedicatedly tweeting at us, asking us to bring the show back. You know, it has happened. It has literally somebody tweeted that at us. I just listened to the last episode. Are there any plans to make more of these? This, I love this show. Um, Well, to you, buddy uh we're back for at least for at least this episode there's really no plans for another episode after this one we just well i'll text oh i'm just gonna say we might appear on some other podcasts some friends of ours that's true yeah so this is like we might appear on some other that but it's not really a practice it's a good episode it's gonna be good don't consider if you're if you're a listener to this right now don't feel like you're listening to a practice episode now I have a, one of those big weights around my microphone stand that they put on baseball bats, you know, where I just to like, so I'm ready for when the real podcast starts. Just, you should just consistently screw up everything that you say for the rest of the episode and be like, Oh, it doesn't matter. It's practice. Ricky, we um, can't both be screwing up everything we say. Like, <laughs> right. That's, are you, are you implying that that's my job? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I was implying. Yeah. So there was one movie that came out so far in 1993 that uh we couldn't not talk about and uh one of the things when we stopped doing the podcast was because chris and i both decided or maybe it was just me who decided uh we're we're friends we live in the same neighborhood we could just get together and talk about movies privately sure it didn't have to be for anybody else but ourselves Mm. but then a few weeks ago i happened to notice that a little movie from 1993 was released on February 26th, starring Michael Douglas, written directed by Joel Schumacher, written by Ebby Rose Smith, called Falling Down. And I texted Chris. I said, Falling Down came out this week. Would you should we bring 
you know, get the gears in motion, bring the team back, get the gang back together, me and him and our microphones and uh, talk about falling down. And he said, very thirstily, I would love to. We must. The best part is that the way it actually happened. Drool, makes like, me it, seem, it, might have, it might as well have been like a drooling mouth text. He was so the way, desperate. The to, way to it actually this. happened actually makes me sound much cooler and funnier than that. And also insightful in a certain way. Because what actually happened is it was a delicate dance of seduction where Ricky just texted me a picture of the release date of falling down with no other comment. And I texted back, this could be us, but you play in. Which I thought was the perfect fucking thing to say, and then here That's we true. are. It was a very seductive. It was a, a very seductive move on your part because I immediately <laughs> was like. I immediately took it as as a challenge, and that's the only way that I respond to anything is if it's a challenge, <laughs> or if or if it's against somebody else. <laughs> You're like, oh, you fucking think I'm not going to do thing. it, you piece of shit! Like, so challenge accepted. We're talking. This is 30 years later, and we are back for one night only. <laughs> Currently, one night, maybe more later, and we're talking about Joel Schumacher's falling down. Life in the 90s got you down. What are you going to do about it? Hey, where do you think you're going? Going home. I am just trying to get home to my little girl's birthday. If everybody will stay out of my way, then nobody will get hurt. Give me some money. Give us your briefcase. Give it to me. Give it to me. Give it to me. In the battlefield of life. I, mean, I was willing to mind my own business, but you couldn't leave it alone, could you? The time has come. For Bill Foster to fight back. You forgot the briefcase! And what would a white guy in a white shirt and tie be doing in gangland? In America, we have the freedom of speech, the right to disagree! What kind of vigilante are you? I am not a vigilante. Just standing up for my rights as a consumer. Michael Douglas, Robert Duvall. Falling down. I'm the bad guy? Kind of a classic in its own way. Uh, I think if you were around in this period of time, you couldn't help but hear about this movie. Um, it was uh, controversial. Uh, also released by one of the big studios at the time, which is just like, I think another one of the reasons that we stopped doing this was I got sick of saying like, this just doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> um, but this is like a very definitive case of this doesn't happen anymore. Not only was it released by a major studio, it was number one at the box office for several weeks and it displaced Groundhog Day as the number one movie. So like that especially Insane. does not happen anymore. It made almost a hundred million dollars off of a $25 million budget. And it is a movie about a idiot walking around LA <laughs> terrorizing people. It is a, uh, you know, after Taxi Driver, I feel like every decade gets the taxi driver they deserve. This is very much the the '90s Taxi Driver, and mm-hmm. you know the 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 one that we got in this decade, which is the one that we deserve, is fucking Joker. Unfortunately, um, but it is Joker. the one that we say, deserved. What do you think? Uh, does Taken count as a taxi driver? No. How does that? How is that a taxi driver? Because it's, it's a, a normal guy movie. who's set upon by a set of circles. Okay, it's maybe it's like the two thousands death wish. Okay, kind of. I mean, isn't it? Is it? Is it even a death wish? Like he's saving his kid. 
But he's like a normal guy, you know, but except... No, he's not. He has a very... He has a set of skills. Well, if you let me fucking finish what I was going to say, Ricky, I was going to say we can't have normal guys anymore. So our normal guy has to be some kind of weird superhero, you know, but a normal... That is a normal guy. You know, that's as close as you're going to get in this century. Like, even the movie where Bob Odenkirk goes around and murders people, he is also, like, secretly the world's best assassin, you know? The movie sucked. <laughs> it was, parts of it were fun, parts of it were fun. Anyway, so, Falling Down, uh, directed by Joel Schumacher, and written by Ebby Rose Smith. This is Ebby Rose Smith's really, his only, his, his one, he was an actor, and he wrote the script, and it was kind of the toast of the town, uh, I believe there were other directors attached at first before Schumacher got attached. And um, once Schumacher got attached, he got Douglas attached as his friend. It's the story of a man who goes by defense. That's his license plate. One day in the midst that's of like the that's lot. The name of the, that's the character's name. He doesn't go by defense. Well, his, but his license plate says defense. His license plate says defense. Yes, exactly. Um, he, uh, wears a pocket protector. He's dressed like 1950s America. He's he, dressed like a well, like a NASA mission control engineer, basically. Yeah, he walks out of his car in the middle of a traffic jam on the LA freeway, and from then on, he has an, a series of increasingly uh, dangerous and insane moments in his life uh, that involve him interacting with fast food restaurant, a gang, golfers, a neo-Nazi um and uh tragically his his wife and child <laughs> uh tragically for him they spoiler alert they survive um but the the one hallmark of success i will say uh about this movie and i really like this movie is that uh liberal groups thought it was offensive to minorities and conservatives thought it was offensive that it thought it was anti-white that to me <laughs> is a successful movie Hey, I'm an equal opportunity offender here. Hey! Hi, I'd like some breakfast. We stop serving breakfast at 11.30. Have you ever heard the expression, the customer is always right? Yeah, well, hey, I'm really sorry. Yeah. Well, hey, I'm really sorry, too. One of the funny things I think about this movie, because you were talking about the different, like, situations that make Michael Douglas... Uh, you know, they like set him off. It's supposed to be like everyday annoyances that drive him over the edge. And he's like, finally standing up for himself. You know, you're supposed to think that maybe for the first little bit of the movie. Um, but they're all these kind of like stand up comedy premise situations, which I think is really funny. Like the one, especially, which is like, you go into McDonald's and you can't get breakfast after 1130. Like, what's the deal with that? Like, that is one of the major set pieces in this movie. <laughs> Very weird. Because, like, was that... Who fucking cares? Like, was this really... I mean, this is the whole setup of the movie. Nothing he encounters is, like, actually bad. They're just all, like, minor annoyances that he, like, can't minor grievances. Before. Right, exactly. Yeah. I mean, except for the neo-Nazi. Right, the neo-Nazi. Right, right. Which is an but interesting... What he can't, but what he can't accept about the neo-Nazi is that the neo-Nazi is like, you're one of... Uh, like, I'm one of you. We're the same guy. And he yeah. can't accept that. Uh, my my favorite part of the neo-Nazi scene is when he's digging in Michael Douglas's bag of guns uh, and he pulls out the snow globe that Michael Douglas has bought for his daughter, but the, the neo-Nazi pulls out the snow globe and goes, what's this? Faggot shit? <laughs> and breaks it. It's a child's snow globe. Oh my god. 
Um, but do you feel like the like I, I felt like the the opening scene, this freeway scene where he's loses his mind and walks off the freeway. He's basically looking at uh, a bumper sticker that's like Jesus will save you, uh, a Garfield stuffed animal. There's a fly on his neck. There's people honking their horns. There's like dripping coming out of the exhaust. And yeah, it felt like um, and it's hot. Maybe Ricky. Just, it's hot. It's hot. It's so hot. It, it it made me feel a little like uh like like being online <laughs> but like <laughs> but like we be like like where he goes crazy and doesn't want to be there and nobody else that's there wants to be there we like willfully inject that experience <laughs> into ourselves on a daily basis well it's you know, the same like, i guess as like you know i mean people who are stuck in traffic they you know god didn't put them there like they have put themselves into traffic and i think it you could say the same of the internet right like we we for some reason feel like we we have to be online and just everything about it sometimes can make you feel like you want to fucking like throw your computer out the window um yeah it's been really bad lately for some reason i don't really know you know, like twitter's all fucked up you know i don't know i don't know i just have i kind of don't care anymore i don't care anymore you know yeah i don't necessarily care about twitter as like a platform being fucked up it's more like uh i'm uh it feels like we're, we're just living through the same cycles of outrage over and over. Like there's nothing, nothing new is happening. There's no evolution. There's no progress. It's just the same shit rinse and repeat over and over and over again. Well, it's interesting. I mean, I don't know. Right. Like, okay. So how long has social media been around really like 10 years or a little bit, 10 years, 15 years. Right. So, there was this sort of thing that's been going on and that's basically the amount of time like digital like journalism has been a thing also like 15 years like everybody like became aware of all the problems in society basically all at once or at least in this concentrated period of like 10 years but like they're long standing problems with society and they are not fixed and people just get mad about them over and over again and i mean that's good that people get mad about them because maybe that'll make people change things but also like it's not i this you know it's not that easy to change the whole world you know and i i wish that it was but it's not and i think this is the thing right it's like like police brutality like everybody's so furious about police brutality and they're like why hasn't it disappeared and it's like i've got bad news for you about human civilization like police brutality is like yeah, they fucking it's terrible. It's one of the long-standing problems with policing for human beings. Right, like, like why haven't why haven't why haven't we changed why haven't we gotten rid of police yet? It's like I've I have bad news for you about living in one of the most punitive countries in the world. Yeah. <laughs> like, like I know because get rid you of the just, cops. like you just learned that the cops are bad. You're like, "Well, we just shouldn't have them then." And in a way that attitude is like so beautiful and I do respect it and I think it's it's really positive, but also it's like Okay, dude. Like you know, like good luck. You know, like right. I mean, it's like we're all like we're all dealing with like a bunch of uh, Anna Paquin from Margaret, just like these strident teenagers who are learning things for the first time and expecting everything to everyone to adapt to how dramatic it is in their head. It's like people of all ages that had never knew about politics before that have learned about politics. Oh yeah, that too. Like four years, you know, and it's like they have this real zeal, and it's very admirable. But if you're somebody who has known no, anything not. about politics over any other amount of time, it's kind of like, okay, well, yeah, okay, let's see how you it's, do. Let's see how your stamina holds up, you know? 
it's not that it's not that admirable because so often it's just like it's a there there's like a, a self-centeredness about it and and, and uh, a sometimes an even deeper narcissism than the children that they like that they tend to mock or or you yeah, know right. have disdain for um but I, I don't know i think it's uh i think it's I, it, the way that uh actual news media tries to keep up with with online by like being like people on twitter are getting upset and you kind of want to be like you know that's probably a 13 year old right like this person that you think on this person on twitter that is like upset about this thing is probably a 13 year old who it was just looking for something to vent at today yeah there was something i saw where it was like somebody had retweeted a screen cap of a tiktok of some woman being like teenagers and adults should not interact this much and that's it's really bad for society that like teenager it's bad for the teenagers and it's bad for the adults that they have to like hear each other's thoughts about politics it's like the teenagers should just be in their own space talking to each other and it's it's really unhealthy that we are exposed to their ideas and it's bad for them in the long run too because they like look like idiots you know but it's like one of the unavoidable things about like especially twitter the great flattening or like democratization of opinion is uh, like, a, is a horrible thing. <laughs> it just turns out it's really it's bad, actually, actually a horrible thing that there should in some ways be gatekeepers. And the gatekeepers were really that... important. It turned out they were actually extremely important, but now the gatekeepers are trying to keep up with the uh, monetization of these, fl- of these opinions. So they're like worse than before than, than they're worse than they used to be. <laughs> Yeah, so that reminds me of falling down because really one of the because we're all <laughs> falling down because we're all falling oh, down. We're all Michael Douglas. Well, this actually like I don't know. You know, we're so out of practice if we want to go through the movie from the beginning or end or just like have big thoughts right now. But like one of my things I really liked about watching this movie this this time. So you were talking about how the the white supremacist is saying like we're the same, right? And we as the viewer at that point are supposed to kind of realize that that is true because there's been so many situations where Michael Douglas is like, you would think that he's the hero and maybe in the first one or two, you're supposed to kind of think he's the hero and kind of funny, but eventually you realize like people are cowering in fear of him and the problems that he's having are not very big. Like, I mean, after the, you know, a gang tries to kill him with a machine gun, like basically he doesn't face any other problems for the rest of the movie. That's the only real danger he's in. Well, I guess the white supremacist, but, um, what I really, but it's a gang. Going... It's a gang that he assaults first. Yeah, exactly. Beca- he... Because of his actions get like seven people killed. <laughs> and that, cause the gang comes up to him and they're like, hey, you're trespassing, like, get out of here. And he is, like, literally sitting in somebody's backyard, and he's like, oh, am I on your fucking hill, you fucking pieces of garbage? And it's like, yeah, dude, you are. Like, these are our houses. Like, get out of here. Like, you're some old, weird white guy. Like, why are you here? Leave, you know? But um, what I liked especially was I felt like there was a layer to the movie, and it's most obvious in this scene where there's a guy protesting outside of a bank who is wearing exactly the same outfit as Michael Douglas, but he's black and he's not, he doesn't have any guns. He's just saying like, they wouldn't give me a loan. Like my business, my, my, my business went out of business or I couldn't start a business. And like, you know, and he gets arrested because he keeps screaming how he's not economically viable. And there's this moment where they connect and you're like, oh, this guy is having the same emotions that are driving this Michael Douglas character. And then I, I felt at least like on the rewatch, like, 
I felt like every male character in the movie is some version of that person. You just start to appreciate that everybody is just living through some psychodrama where like they're the put upon victim and they're just trying to stand up for themselves. And I think you just see that over and over and over and over again. Like everybody is experiencing the same thing. And I think that's what makes it like an, an interesting movie with a lot of broad appeal because it, it, it is about a white guy who is like sick of the modern society. And it is also about a white guy who's like overly entitled and doesn't understand it and is a murderer and it's also it's about like this entitled. feeling that capitalism puts on everybody, you know, on everybody. Yes. Well, the feeling that we are all just like a number on a spreadsheet that we don't matter, that uh, we have absolutely no agency over ourselves. But I don't. I mean, I thought that it's interesting because I thought that Duval was a, a reverse mirror. Oh no, Michael I agree. Douglas's I agree. Character. You know, like the opening, the, the opening of the movie is, uh, Michael Douglas flipping out in traffic. And then after he storms out of there, we show Michael Robert Duvall enjoying being in traffic. He's like (laughs) chuckling at some graffiti. It's like a little guy drawn in between some woman's boobs going help. And you cut to Robert Duvall being like, (laughs) yeah, and I was, uh, (laughs) I was, I was reading, I was reading the script today. And uh, the introduction uh, of Prendergast, uh, who is, uh, you know, Duvall's character, um, basically says that. uh, Sitting in it is Prendergast, like interior Prendergast car. Sitting in it is Prendergast. He has a certain quality of world weariness. Unlike the frustration all around him, he calmly sits, accepting the situation. Right. Which is like the exact opposite of the scene that we just saw. Well, it's so interesting because I think like his character is so important to the movie and he is like the second lead in in the movie. And he is such an important like foil and mirror for Michael Douglas of somebody experiencing the same things, but like finding a different way to deal with them. Um, But I if you read all the essays and all the reviews of this movie, like none of them fucking mention him at all. Everybody is so fixated on the Michael Douglas character, like with good reason, obviously, but it's interesting because the movie is dealing with these issues in the movie. You know, it's dealing with the, how Michael Douglas is not the hero. It's dealing, it's showing you other ways of, of being. And I feel like it's so stupid to not talk about this huge part of the movie, which is the um, Robert Duvall character. Right. He's got like a younger, not partner, but younger, uh, police woman that he works with who clearly has a crush on him as an older man. And he's, he deals with that very well. Right. He literally walks up to her and says, Hey, I love my wife. And he's got a great scene. I think it's great. And his relationship with his wife is very strange. Like not the kind of thing you often see in, in media, I would say where it's like, she's like a child. Yeah. Like a child, right. It's like a child that she's like in tears and she's really, and she's really mean sometimes, but he deals with her with this kind of like patience and love. And he's always trying to, and it is like deluded in a way, because certainly by the end, he's acting a little differently. But it's also like, yeah, he's he's talking to his friends. He's like, look, you don't get it. You don't get what it's like to be her. It's very hard to be her. She's had a very difficult life, you know? And they're like, you don't, I think yeah, like, yeah, right. Fuck that. What's but, but the one thing that's really weird about it is that uh, it's obviously because they lost a child. Right. right, 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 right. And yeah. like the trauma of losing this child has reverted her into a very childlike person. And, and she like requires, very brittle, right? 
Yeah, but I mean, even the opening scene, opening scene where they're on the phone together, he sings to her. He sings like London Bridge is falling down or something like some very like a, a right. child, like a nursery rhyme. Theme. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but what he keeps telling everybody else for a little while, instead of saying like, since the, since, since our child passed, you know, she's been a certain way. He keeps saying she lost her looks. <laughs> yeah. He like, saying, you don't, you don't understand. know what she used like. to be. She used to be really hot and now she's not hot anymore. And that's really fucked up. <laughs> like, but it's like, do you know what that does like, to like, you? But it's like what he assumes cops would understand. Like cops wouldn't be able to handle the gravity of a conversation about the death of a child, which we actually see when his, his, his captain brings it up. Oh, right. Yeah, his right. captain God, sits yeah. him down and his captain's a callous bastard about the, uh, about the child and doesn't know what to say. So whenever he talks to anybody else about his wife and what she's like, he says, you know, well, you know, she gave up her looks and she, you know, it's, it's, she used to be really beautiful and you don't know what it's like to give up your looks. And then in the final moments where he's delivering his monologue to Michael Douglas, I kind of love that scene, even though it's corny, like dueling monologues. Yeah. Uh, he, he says, you know, she didn't really want a child. I thought having children would be the happiest thing that you the, would be paradise. So I talked her into it. Then we had this child and she loved her so much. And then the, the child died from well, actually in, in infant crib, infant IDS, infant death. It's SIDS, infant right? Death but they don't say they love, he leaves off the S. Sudden and infant says infant death syndrome. He says infant death right. syndrome. But this Which is actually a weird thing. I she was to, two. This is what says. I want to fucking say, Ricky, is like, so in this monologue, he says like, I mean, it's set up through the whole movie. Like she lost her looks from having a kid. Like she didn't want to have a kid. They had a kid anyway. And then in this monologue, Robert Duvall says like infant death syndrome, but it was very strange because she was two. She wasn't a baby. I was like, are we supposed to think that his wife killed their baby? Is that what, do you think that that is what they're implying? Because it's like, she's very selfish. She's very jealous. Whoa. She's like, didn't want to have a kid in the first place. And then, and she lost her looks having the kid. And then it, they have him say like, oh, nobody knows what happened. She just died, which was very unusual because she was two. And it's not supposed to happen when you're two. I did not take it that way, but I also <laughs> don't, but I, but I don't, but I don't think that's uh, like you're wrong because it is interesting the way that that narrative plays plays out that way it's like why put that, that why put that line in there do you know what i mean like what it, point what yeah it also to me feels a little like uh a writer kind of like um half-hazardly trying to tie something up you yeah, know yeah but then yeah. but then like no one wanting to commit to it <laughs> like, like there was know, like more the of it and there was more of it in some right. other version of the script but like this is the little right. nub of it that preserved to the actual movie like they were like, wait, are you saying that he knows his wife killed their their child? And the writer was like, yeah. And they're like, yeah, I don't think so, Ebby. I don't <laughs> think that's gonna work. I feel like we'd have to deal with that a lot more if that's what's yeah, going like, on. That's in the a movie. whole yeah. other movie. <laughs> like, so he's a police detective, and he suspects his wife murders his kid, but he's just kind of doesn't mention it. Is that what you're saying? Right. He's like, he's like, okay with it. He, but he, he understands where his wife was coming from because she lost her but looks. That is kind of what his character is like. I think it tracks with his character. Uh, do you feel like I, I feel like the movie goes to great lengths to present Michael Douglas as this kind of. Uh, 
like even the writer says in talking about the movie, he represents an old power structure of the U.S. Yeah, right. And I, I sort of get the idea via like defense and those connections, but really he's not really like a powerful guy, and that's the whole point. He's more just like a grievance, like a a grievance filled guy. Like and like the a, other, th- like he's a shallow own- asshole. He just is like thinks he's very entitled. Like what other word is there? He, I just keep thinking of the like the fast food scene. I mean, there is no other reason for that. It's just like he wants breakfast and they won't give him breakfast, and he's mad and he thinks I deserve to get whatever I want, and like to the point that I will pull out a machine gun and make people throw up in terror of me. You know, like, right? Like it all begins at the Koreans' store when he goes in to get change for the phone. And the Korean says, you know, you have to buy something. He goes to buy a soda, but the soda is too expensive to get enough change for the phone. Like he could have just walked to another store. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, and um, the thing too is like, so this is the only scene where it's like, he's like the old power store, the old anything. Cause he is explicitly saying like, that's not what it would cost in the fifties. <laughs> you know? Oh yeah. He goes, we're going to, we're going to bring prices back to the sixties. Yeah, so it's like, okay, all right. That's just that's like, how the old one is moment. This guy? Because it's 1993. Like, he looks like, yeah. they describe him as being in his late 30s at a certain point. So he wants things to have cost the same as when he was like five years old. <laughs> like, you know. I mean, I, 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 guess, I guess Douglas was 48 when they filmed it. So Douglas could have been 18 in 63. Right. 1963, 911. Oh, sorry, JFK. <laughs> JFK. Uh, you're it's so great to be back doing this with you ricky i fucking love i love you so much i missed hearing about this kind of stuff this is great you're you fucking rule what i so what i was afraid of rewatching this movie right and i hadn't seen it in a while was that it would and this is the thing to talk about we haven't talked about really is that this movie is the blueprint of this like white grievance mentality this like, I mean, literally in this scene with, and the reason that Ricky is saying like the Korean grocer is like, this is what the whole scene is built around. He's yelling at him about being Chinese, I think. And then the guy says, actually, I'm Korean. And they're talking about, he, there's a great line where Michael Douglas says, do you know how much money my country gave to your country? And he goes, no, how much? And he goes, well, I don't know, but it's probably a lot, which is actually like really well done. It tells you right from the start that this movie isn't quite going to be the like white it's like, he's not the hero, you know, it's like wall street. Like he's not the hero. He's the villain, but he doesn't realize it until the very end when he looks into camera and says, I'm the bad guy. But it's like, he, um, I was worried this movie was going to be all, all white grievance. And I think there is a, I mean, you were talking, saying conservative people think it's anti-white. There is certainly a strain of conservative person that thinks this movie is pro white. And I mean, he does kill a, like a neo-Nazi at one point, but it's like, it's also, it is, I mean, what else can you say? He's a mass shooter. He's a domestic terrorist. Like, this is the, I mean, he's going postal. Like, this is the kind of person. I mean, this is, this movie is like alongside, like, Elephant, right? As far as it's, like, white people using guns on innocent people, and you really understand their mentality in a certain way. Like, but, but also, uh, it's, you know, it's, he's, he, but also he is the villain. This is what I'm saying. It wasn't as bad as I was expecting or fearing because it's, it's actually a very nuanced movie that I think lands like really well, all this stuff. Yeah. I don't, you know, I don't even know if it's that, and I'm not disagreeing with you, but I don't even know if it's that nuanced. Like, I think it's pretty clear, but I think again, like the hallmark of a successful movie that in this, in this genre is that some people will be walking out of the movie and 
think that he's like an inspiration, right? And we'll love it. And the smart people will be walking out of the movie and we'll be like, uh, yeah, that was a commentary on that dumb guy that's walking out of the movie and thinking that it's great, right? It's Gordon Gecko, it's Tony Soprano, it's the Goodfellas. It's, I mean, even Travis, Travis Bickle Beck- is kind of like yeah. that. But what's crazy, what's, I mean, Travis Bickle is like an even bigger loser than Michael Douglas is in this movie. Like Michael Douglas's character can actually like articulate his grievances whereas you know robert de niro generally like generally walks around taxi driver like muttering vaguely racist (laughs) shit (laughs) um and it's a better movie for it but oh yeah i think um i i i I don't know i you know the fact that he even says at the end of the movie i'm the bad guy it's like you know, it's like not particularly nuanced at that point. Right. Like, yeah, sure, sure, sure. I agree that it is on the note. What I meant by saying it's nuanced is like, you think at first the movie is going to be like from his point of view, but over the course of the movie, you come, he, you come to understand that he is bad, you know, but I think from the, from the very beginning, you kind of think like, well, this guy's kind of funny, you know, he's like, he won't take shit. You know, these gangs are trying to kill him, you know, over the course of the movie, he there is a, a turn with his character. Even while they kind of try to, like they do have that scene where he kills the white supremacist because he doesn't want to believe that he is the same. But I think it's it's a credit to the movie that it's not like, as a viewer, I didn't think like, oh, they're not the same, so he's killing him. What I thought was, he doesn't think they're the same, you know? He doesn't think they're the same, but the movie does. Right, right exactly. Yeah, I agree. Because the movie also doesn't stop him from verbally attack stop like he doesn't stop the neo Nazi from verbally attacking the gay guys that are in the Army no, Navy yeah. store. He almost snickers. Right. Right? It's not until the guy says, Me and you were the same, and he sees the guy's like neo Nazi back room. <laughs> like his his Hitler fetish room where michael douglas i mean it's actually like a pretty good depiction of uh these like sort of these these grievance filled americans which is like hitler is just like the one bridge too far exactly right as soon as you say hitler is good you know right as soon as you say to someone someone's like well look i just think that like uh don't don't let the gays around my kids uh, we shouldn't be giving money to any more of these like welfare, like Hispanic and black welfare moms in these in these neighborhoods. They should have to fend for themselves. I don't want to hear about history and what's caused this. That's just the way that it should be. And like, I don't want to deal with annoying zit faced teenagers when I go to buy fast food. I want the food that I want. And that's what I want. And I don't really like infrastructure being in my way when I'm trying to get somewhere. And someone says, you're a fascist you're a fascist. And they're like, Hey, 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 I'm not Hitler. <laughs> I'm not Hitler's bad. He wanted to kill people. I just want everything I want all the time or I will kill anyone who's standing in my way. Like that's very different. And I hate all minorities. I mean, yeah, he does right in that first scene. Also, he says like, come to my country and you won't, don't even learn to speak my language. Although, you know, what's interesting to what, think about, I think, what do you in, think? In, wait, what do you think? What do you think the best point he makes in the movie is though? Like, what is one <laughs> point? What is one point that Michael Douglas's character defense mm. makes in the movie that you're like, yeah, okay, right on, man. I mean, it's easy to say their breakfast thing, like definitely, you know, because that's like who fucking cares. And they do these days serve breakfast again or like around the clock. 
and I'm somebody who loves to get breakfast, you know, outside of breakfast. Hours. Wrong. But like, but I was going to say that was easy to say. Um, what? I don't know. I, ooh, the golf oh. course. Oh, the golf course. Right. I forgot about the golf course. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, that's right. When one. he's storming up the golf course and he's like, this is go- like, you shouldn't be here. Kids should be able to play here. They should yeah. have houses here. Why? Like, why do you it's have all this for your big- stupid little game? Yeah. And he's right. Yeah. That's the one thing where I'm kind of where I'm like, right. But then he kills the guy and it's like, well, don't kill the guy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, they kind of leave it like a little ambiguous, I guess. Like he doesn't shoot him. Right. It's just like he's dying from not having no, his. The- well, no, the guy, he shoots the from guy's golf pills. cart. The right. guy starts having a heart attack and Michael Douglas starts saying, he's and the guy's going, my pills, my pills. And Michael Douglas goes, where are your pills? He goes to the golf cart. And he looks back and the golf cart has, uh, at this point, because it got shot by Michael Douglas, it has driven, basically it has like rolled down the hill into the little pond and is sinking. And he looks at him and he goes, well, now you're going to die. Because you wouldn't let me walk through your little golf course. And then he walks off. It's pretty good. So he yeah, does like take yeah. a little bit of like, you know, he does take a, uh, a little bit of satisfaction in killing this elderly man who is a prick, but still. He's a prick who's screaming at him for absolutely no reason. And his friend keeps going like, hey, cool off. Come on. He, like, he goes, I don't like well, the no, look of this guy. Yeah. <laughs> That's what he says. Which is like, cool off, Larry. I don't like the look of this guy. <laughs> And you know that's why that guy doesn't die. You know he's he's right. He's got his head on his shoulders. Yeah, but I think that's the one moment in the movie where I was kind of like, yeah, good call. Yeah, no, I mean that's how could you disagree with that? It's a hundred percent accurate. You know, what did you also, think of Rachel? Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, please go ahead. <laughs> so Rachel Ticketon's actual partner in the movie. So Rachel Ticketon, who. Uh, listeners of of our podcast will know is um, from Total Recall. Uh, right, she's the one. Yes. She's she's the um, sleazy, athletic woman in uh, Total Recall. Uh, but she plays Duvall's not his partner, but the younger, but the woman at the uh, precinct who has a crush on him. But she has this partner who's like a bad Bill Paxton copy. Yeah, like he, he is his voice really is like, like a Bill Paxton. Yeah. Yeah, like he, he he keeps being like, "All right, lovebirds, let's get it, let's get going here." Right, like he keeps doing the Bill Paxton style voice for and everything. He's like, hey, I didn't mean nothing by that. All right, you get it. <laughs> but then he gets punched in the face. Like, oh, hope he doesn't have to go home to his wife. Have you guys <laughs> met her? <laughs> it's great. I mean, yeah, he's great. It's great. Um, do you want to do, do you want to do questions? Yeah, let's fucking do it. I forgot about the questions actually. Um, I'm First excited to I've discover ever it remembered the questions. It's, it's fucking rules, dude. You're on it. You're on a, you're on the fucking ball and I admire it. Okay. Chris. So what was your favorite part of the movie? Oh, my favorite part of the movie. Um, probably the part that made me laugh the most was when, um, we only briefly talked about it, but one of his run-ins is with this gang and then they find him and they try to shoot him with machine guns. And there's this sequence where they're driving by with machine guns shooting against the the building that he's at. And like, they're showing like old lady, like pregnant women and old men, like getting shot and falling over. And Michael Douglas is just standing completely still. And they just like miss him. (laughs) And then they have like a car accident and they all die, which is like, 
I thought all that was pretty ridiculous and stupid and, and funny. And just the way, like, he, watching all the, like, the extras, like, pretend to get shot and, like, like, fall over, you know? And Michael Douglas is just standing there, like, resolute, like, not getting shot by, like, force of will, I guess, you know? Well, it's like, it was like a thing in the 90s. Like, Pulp Fiction hadn't come out yet, but it was this sort of, like, it's a it's ironic that they're after him and they and they're, you know, have these machine guns and he doesn't have to do anything. They miss and he him, right? Get hit. But I, I, like I was when, actually going like to say, he, um, oh no, go ahead. I was going to say, I love when you hear a car crash and then cut to the aftermath of the car crash. It's so funny. Like you hear the crowd crash around the corner. He walks around the corner and it's like the car is like up over another car and <laughs> and like everybody's covered in blood. There's like four like, people dead. Yeah, <laughs> and it sounded like one. It sounded like somebody dropped a hubcap from like three feet in the air. It was like dong, rung, 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 rung. The most grisly thing you've ever seen in your life. I just want to bring up one thing. I know we're in the middle of questions, but like, who cares? Uh, But if you look at some of the reviews from this period of time, uh, David Richard Schickel of Time and Philip Thomas have like a similar uh, take on the movie, which is while the this is Philip Thomas of Empire Magazine. While the morality of defense methods are questionable, there's a resonance about his reaction to everyday annoyances. (laughs) Yeah, dude. Well, (laughs) people were fucking insane in the nineties, dude. Well, this is what I was going to fucking say is like, I, I randomly because of media Twitter was reading this, uh, Stephen glass article recently and it, it, I was reading it on the website of the New Republic, and there weren't any notes attached to it. So I don't know if this is one that like wasn't made up or what. But like, it's got some of the most hateful shit you've ever read in your life. And this is published by like the sexiest, smartest journalist in the country, and the you know the in-flight magazine of Air Force One. Uh, stump, it's stump. Okay, let me see. It's all. It's all is talking Stephen about Glass like sh- why Stephen Glass shattered. Yeah, shattered. Yeah, yeah, shattered glass. Yeah, exactly. But literally, the the article is all like, how come these blacks don't want to work hard anymore? Like, that's the thesis of the article. Dear Jesus. And like, this is like, you know, it's like a 6,000 word magazine article. (laughs) Like, Jesus Christ. Still doing it. Still doing it, man. Still doing it. Um, What what did you, what, what was your favorite part of the movie, Ricky? So my favorite part of the movie is is near the end and Michael Douglas at this point has done some fucked up shit. He's still sort of trying to get to his ex-wife and daughter. His ex-wife is like terrified of him though. She's told a cop that like he never actually hit her, but she was kind of like, but I, I left before he could cause it seemed like he would at some point, but we cut to Michael Douglas and he's gotten to his, his, the home that his wife lives in, but his wife and the, his ex-wife and the kid aren't there. And he's watching home movies. And even in the home movies. Oh no, I love this. A, I love this too. This was great. He's a belligerent asshole. Like he's just, and he's like barely noticing it himself, how much of a belligerent asshole he is. He's like directing his wife to put his, their daughter on one of the like, uh, like little ponies that are sp- spring attached ponies that little kids sit on. And the daughter doesn't want to doesn't want to sit on it, and he starts berating his wife. Put her on the pony. I paid for the goddamn thing. Now put her on the pony. 
It's so, it's so great. And she like doesn't want to do it, but then he yells at her so she kind of tries one more time to put the daughter back on the pony. And the daughter's just wailing and kicking her legs. And he's like, God damn it. And it's so funny that like even with that, critics like wouldn't watch this and say, like, this movie is making a comment about like how people like me interact with daily grievances and sort of like where that behavior is rooted. It, you know, right. like where impatience right. uh, as a privileged man is, is is rooted in. They were still like, oh, well, this is the moment where he goes too far. And it's like, no, that's who he is. He's been going too far the whole time. Like getting irrationally upset at minor grievances is going too far. That's the point like, of this the This is movie. the way he's been living his entire life. And this is the way many people live their lives because, you know, partially it's justified and partially it's not. And, you know, partially it's capitalism and you know like american the american life in in this period in history but like also this guy is kind of just like a big prick also yeah and there is actually a great scene like a kind of a thing right at the end where robert duvall says like he says like what do you think you're gonna do like after he's taken his wife and kid hostage and he goes well i didn't know and he goes guys like you never know what you're gonna do but you know, the whole time you're going to kill the both of them and then you're going to kill yourself. Right. And he's like, uh, (laughs) (laughs) he's like, caught me. Yeah. I mean, I guess, I don't know. (laughs) I, I also really like when, when they go to Michael Douglas's mother's place and Rachel Ticketson leaves the room and it's just Duvall and Douglas's mother played by Lois Smith. And Duval goes, what's going on with your son? And she goes, what do you mean? He goes, you know what I mean. And she <laughs> just like, so like good. confesses immediately. Like, just like, like deflates you know right I mean? away, you know? Yeah. He's like, like you, know, you know what I mean. He's a fucking you know, fruit you, loop. What's going on? You know on? exactly what I mean. <laughs> She's yeah. like, oh, that's oh, what it is. You know yeah. exactly what I mean. She's like, yeah, he's crazy. Yeah, he's got a lot of problems, actually. He's very poorly adjusted. Yeah, he looks at me like he wants to kill me. Are you, you're telling me he's um, walking around town with a duffel bag full of guns? Mm, yeah, I see it. I see it. Yeah, yeah, okay. So the next question is what? What is the most 90s part of this movie? And I have oh, a yes. what is perfect the most 90s answer for this. this. Okay, there's a there's one... Because the whole, the whole setup of this movie is Michael Douglas is walking from... Mm. Uh, east to west across Los Angeles to get home, quote unquote, which is not the city, the house he actually lives in anymore. It's where his ex-wife lives and his daughter. So he's walking, but so lots of the scenes, the scenes are all, and this is actually one of my favorite things about the movie too, is lots of the scenes are in these kind of nether spaces that you don't normally think about, Um, like in grassy fields and parking lots. And it's just like, he's supposed to be like just walking through the craziest parts of the city. Um, and one thing to mention too, is this movie was actually filmed during the riots after the Rodney King verdict. So it's like, they were like constantly like having to move around and having to shut down production for days. And it was, and it added, you know, like some, you know, that's what the movie's about. And that's what was happening during the filming. But okay. There is a scene where they're in a parking lot and I guess it's of a record store because what is behind Michael Douglas in this scene? It is a giant yes. disembodied woman's butt and it says on it sir mix a lot <laughs> because mm-hmm. it is a huge we're talking 10 to 15 feet tall but to promote baby's got back 
which is just without comment in the back of the scene. <laughs> it must have just been because it was there, you know? Like, I'm sure they didn't put it there. Um, it was fucking right. amazing. It was so cool to see. It was so cool. I think it was put in the movie intentionally. I mean, I, I mean, I, I want to believe that, but I also like knowing that it was made like on the cheap, like quickly during the riots. I could also, and it's not like really in frame exactly. It's not that cheap of a movie. I mean, twenty five million in nineteen ninety three is like pretty decent, right? Yeah, that's a, that'd be like a forty or fifty million dollar budget right now. Yeah, I mean, maybe yeah, okay. I mean, there is like some pop culture stuff. There's like other. There's like an MC Hammer poster behind him at one point. And there's lots of, yeah, like advertisements and, you know, store signs. So maybe, you know, maybe that was an important part of the set direction and the like. Oh, no, it wasn't. It wasn't. To promote the release of Baby Got Back, Sir Mix-a-Lot Studio sent a giant inflatable butt around the country in April of 92. The same month the film began filming around L.A. The inflatable butt makes a cameo during the phone booth scene. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They're just there, dude. This is what the 90s were like. There just might be a giant butt like right behind you at a giant record store, which, you know, like. Um, Great. My my most 90s thing about the movie, and uh, it feels like a cop-out in a way, like it's just not fun, is the way the movie looks. It's directed by Joel Schumacher and is shot by this guy, Andre Bartok something like that who shot for Yon de Bont afterwards. So he shot oh, speed yeah. and um, Yon de Bont shot die hard and some early Schumacher as well, like flatliners, which is 1990. And they all have a very specific, like polished look that I feel like the nineties was sort of defined by like Tony Scott was doing yeah. his version of that slick polished style, but Schumacher was as well. And I feel like when I was watching Falling Down, I could very much feel uh, that visual style all over the and movie. I love that visual style because it, it is, like you're saying, it is very slick and polished, but I, it hasn't evolved into this Michael Bay thing where it's like divorced from reality and it's like a comic book. It's It still feels like reality, but it feels like an artful look at reality, which I, I yeah. really appreciate, you know, and I like which, a lot more than is, just, which, yeah which to me is very nineties, right? Like there's like, there's like a sort of like apex in the nineties of like when like movies were being so well budgeted because there was so much money being made off of home video that they had the time to really put into making movies look like, I mean, just simple dramatic scenes and to look like looking really beautiful. And there wasn't like a fight to do it. Like people were making really great money to like pursue their craft. Um, and so you you see that in these like in these in a lot of these studio movies, which you just don't see anymore. And I feel like even before that, in the seventies and eighties, you needed like a real um, like a, a real specific craftsman, talented person to be doing that, rather than just like your run of the mill journeyman director. Though Schumacher, yeah. you know, pretty a little more a little more talented than you know a, a cut above the rest in a lot of ways. Notorious, no, but it, a notorious hack for the time, but still sure, cut yeah. above the rest of the hacks. But I think the 90s, this, especially we're getting into this era of the 90s with, with a movie like this, where it's like, 
it's like a blockbuster. Also, there's some expectation that it's going to be like a good film and not just like a complete piece of crap, you know? Uh, and this is, I mean, it doesn't last forever, this idea, but it, it, it exists for a while. And I think there's lots of movies like this, you know, even like The Rock looks like it takes place in reality, you know, to some extent, you know, whereas a movie like that compared. today would not, compared to like Hobbs and Shaw or something, you know, nothing about that looks like it's like a real place or a real person, you know. Right. It looks like everybody was shot on a green screen because they didn't want to be in the same room as each other. And everybody's Should like, also have the world's most impossible bodies, you know. Should also mention the movie was edited by Paul Hirsch, who edited Star Wars, edited Sisters, Blowout, Carrie, uh, a ton of De Palma, Up Until Mission Impossible, um, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Well, I mean, the editing, you were um, talking about the first sequence, like, that's people say that's a reference to Eight and a Half, which I, I okay, I, I take that on faith. Um, I don't really know, but like it is well edited. I mean, you have to say it, it builds like it, the images build to a feeling like very effectively and, and right from the first second of the movie. Right. Well, he, he's an incredible editor and I can't remember any of the stories off the top of my head, but he has a, a book called, uh, in a cutting room, f- uh, far, far away. Right. What's the, um, in a galaxy, far, far in away. Galaxy, right. Yeah. 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 Well, so he's got a book called In a Cutting Room Far, Far Away, where he's got some pretty great stories about working with Schumacher. Schumacher, a very um, specific, a, a, a very absurd person. And he's got funny stories about dealing with great. it. Like what? Like, what do you like? Can you remember any? Uh, I can't, I can't remember all of them, but like, or any of them really. But like, I just remember that section of the book. There's a, a chapter on falling down. Like every chapter is a different movie. And, one of those was that there was like an out of focus shot at the end of the movie that like Schumacher, Schumacher fired him over, even though he was the editor. It didn't make any sense. Again, I'm, I'm butchering this. I can't just go read the book. It's great. It's it sounds great. great. It really sounds great. great. Um, it's a really so good book. The last question, last I, question, I forget exactly what it is, but it's something like, it's like the, they don't make them like that anymore question. No, right? right. It's something like that. It's like, what, what, what are what, they, what, what it was always a question that we would fuck up too. We had to, we, we had to explain would, it like really hard to all the guests. Like, what have we? Can grown I just out say of? we had some really good guests on the show? Oh, what have we grown out of? That was right. Yeah, right. What have we grown out of? Nothing. Grown out of nothing. Yeah, We've grown out of nothing great. in this movie. I guess this movie. Very... Does, I mean, people say the N word, you know, uh, but it's like a Nazi saying it. So like, yeah, yeah. So that would it's still a Nazi saying for sure. It. Yeah, yeah. We've, no, we've, I don't we've know. Grown out, we've grown out of nothing. nothing. Uh, self-indulgent, privileged, I don't want to say privileged, but like self-indulgent, grievance-filled men kill their families and themselves all the time. Yeah, and that's time. basically what this movie is now. about. I mean, about yeah, it is. I mean, right. It's like a like fantasy that. of some kind of hero cop stopping that from happening, but like totally somebody going on a random gun rampage that ends with them killing their ex-wife, their child and themselves. I mean, like happens every day, right? It happens I mean, every we day see, around like, America. We see videos every day of people storming Walmarts, like going into a Walmart and assaulting a cashier. Right. Or like, you know, because everybody is, yeah, everybody thinks they're, a, I mean, especially white people, everybody thinks they're a victim. Everybody's the, you know, the main character of their own movie where like, they've been put upon and they finally aren't going to take it anymore. That's like the American mindset right now. 
I mean, it seems to be seems like it was the American mindset for a very long time. <laughs> I mean, yeah, kind of the whole time, I guess, right? Thirty years, thirty years later, it's still the American mindset. I mean, what were the pilgrims? But a bunch of people that were like, ah, oh, we can't do our weird shit in Holland, and they're like, no, you can do your weird shit in Holland if you want, and they're like, fuck you, we're leaving. Like, hey, this is supposed to be mine. Like, is it? I mean, you actually are just moved to Holland and we took you in and you, we're happy to have you here and go to hell. Um, the return of 30 years later. The return of 30 years later. It fucking ruled. Goodbye. Thank you. I just want to say thank you to all our listeners for sticking with us during this difficult time. It's been, uh, it's been troubling uh, not having a microphone in front of me. And I'm yeah, just glad it's... that. That Chris stuck with me, that my uh, partner stuck with me, and yeah. hopefully, you know, we can we can get the ball rolling and we can continue I mean, doing this in the future. It's just been a really dark period for me, and I had to step away from all of the technology um, because yeah. uh, things had just gotten a little too dark. I just want to say, Ricky, like, thank you very much for thanking me, and I will say it was hard to stick by you during this time. It was, but I, you know, I did it. What can I say, man? I did it because it mattered, and I think... The results speak for themselves. It's great to be back here with you, brother, you know, talking about these great films from 30 years ago. Isn't that weird when people, like, announce on social media? Well, it's not live. It's not live. Don't worry.